0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined again by podcast regulars Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football and, and I'm delighted to welcome James Carew of Pogue McGold to this episode. We're going to be looking back at the two recent qualifiers for the Republic of Ireland senior men's team against Greece and Gibraltar.
1: Yeah, how are we lads, how are things?
0: All good, guys. Hey,
2: well, lads, good to join you again.
0: Good to have you on, James. It's uh, It's been too long since we last spoke.
1: Kick off.
0: In our last episode, we debated whether or not a draw was a bad result in Athens, and, well, we didn't get a draw. I think at the time... My logic was a, a win was unlikely, but a draw wouldn't be a bad result. I have to say since then, I have come around to Phil's way of thinking that we needed a win there because one of, if not both, of the two top seeds in the group, France and the Netherlands, are probably going to win in Athens. And if we want to keep pace with them at the top of the group table, if we want to be in with a chance of finishing second, we needed the three points. But, well... We know what the result was. Greece came away with a 2-1 win. They were good value for that win. And from very early in the first half, it was clear that they had the measure of us. We were struggling to get out of our own half. Their midfield players, especially, and um, my apologies for not pronouncing any of these names correctly, Uh we were, absolut- were running the show in midfield. I think we conceded an early goal, a penalty, and sometimes you can't legislate for... Things like a bad tackle in defence, an accidental handball. But in our case, a that I felt, throughout the game was being targeted. Maybe it could have just been that left side of defence was being targeted by Greece as a, as a weak spot on our team. And at no time in the 90 minutes was this addressed by management. James, what did you think of the team that Kenny selected? And what did you think of the tactics on the pitch?
2: Yeah, Joe, you're making me relive it now. I thought I'd forgotten about it. Uh, I'd go to the performance first because I think it was so demoralising. I think there was a lot. You, th- you asked about like people going into it, could we win? I think there was a genuine feeling that we could win based on the France performance. You know, we put it up to France, really unlucky not to draw that game. And there was a feel, bit of a bounce going into this, feel good. And the 10-day training camp, like, we were supposed to, in Turkey to acclimatise. Everything was about the heat. We were supposed to be ready for this. I think it was. it's up there with the worst of the Kenny performances. And, it, and it, the reason I say that is because it came after this expectation that we might do well there. I thought it was awful. I tweeted after it, what were they doing on the training camp? And I genuinely don't know. What were they doing during those 10 days? They looked knackered. All of them. I mean, someone like uh, Doherty, I, I really don't know why Doherty played. I think he's played something like 16 minutes in six months and he looked like it. He looked like a player who hasn't played football. I thought the lineup was wrong. I talked Pickett Smallbone. Was it his competitive debut in such a massive game away? I really questioned ferguson and Eda together i think they're a little bit similar i didn't although ferguson's like head and shoulders above him quality-wise either i thought the team selection was wrong i thought the tactics were wrong because we're completely out class you can't legislate for really poor performances and we had a lot of them i thought josh cullen was hopeless and he gave the goal away against france he was hopeless and i can't really explain a guy who's had a good season I don't know what to say, Joe. I'm really deflated after it. I don't think any
0: of us do, to be honest. I mean, even if you look back at the France and Latvia games, you know, we had Cullen and Malumby in midfield with Jason Knight in front of them uh, against France. And then against Greece, Cullen and Malumby again, but with Smallbone instead of Knight, who, who came on for Smallbone in the second half. But... Ferguson and, and Ida as wide strikers, but I felt they spent the whole game absolutely isolated from each other and the rest of the team. I agree 100% with you about Matt Darty. He's actually played more minutes in the FA Cup since January than he has for Atletico Madrid. And he looked like a player who hadn't played a lot of football recently. Gus Poyet said after the game that he knew exactly how Ireland were going to play. They had figured out before kickoff we were going to play a variation of 3-4-3 or possibly 4-3-3 and they had practiced on how to counteract that i did tweet out the player positions map from uh, who scored that showed that they had three players coming down their right overloading the two players that we had on our left and we had cullen and Malumbi pretty much playing in the same position you know they spent the the whole game in almost in each other's way It was that overload on the left side of the fence that led to the second to Greece's second goal. I mean, you can talk about the quality of the pass from Bakisidis, who was uh, absolutely imperious in midfield. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that, as close as he was to the Irish box, he had a massive amount of space to pass into to release Massouris. Mark, what were your thoughts on the team and the, the tactics during the game?
3: Yeah, even going back even to the training camps, remember they did have that Bristol, uh, training camp before the Turkey climatisation. I'm just wondering guys, were they overtrained or did they overexert the team over in Turkey? Because it just felt such a flat performance, particularly in that midfield area. Everyone was very much second best to the ball, but I suppose I think you've talked about it pretty well there, James and Joe, just in terms of the squad set up. I think there was a few kind of left field decisions here. I kind of felt a little bit for the likes of to be thrust into a game of that magnitude in the defence, uh, particularly, and Odouda as well. But this is nothing new from Greece. I mean, if you'd followed Greece with Gus Poyet, he always implores Bal- uh, Baldock and the simcast is it? Those two guys to really bomb forward, provide the width. And it's not as if I would be now highlighting, I think, the management here and the way the tactical setup, because I don't think Greece did anything extraordinary new, Against Ireland, they pretty much deployed the same tactics that they did against Northern Ireland in Nations League and really got their result off So, look, it was a flat performance. First 10-15 minutes, guys, it was siege mentality, wasn't it? I mean, only for Gavin Bazuna in goal, we could have been one or two goals down. Again, we conceded the penalty, but then we recover a bit with the Nathan Collins goal. I mean, a little bit of concerted pressure and you think after half time, would we regroup, management, make the adjustments? But again, it's kind of endemic of this Stephen Kenny era that again we were surrendered the initiative straight after half time again. Again, as you said, the overloading of that left side. The pass is fair enough. It asks the question, but I think subsequently our defensive regroup is just it's it's so poor. But again, Greece retreated back every time they scored here. They felt that they were able to contain it, but we did still have chances, so I mean there's an awful lot of frustration, even the ten days after this game. For me here, even if we got Nick to result here, even if it was a two-all draw or something to that effect, we would have gotten out of jail, really, to be fair. But I just feel the preparation-wise really did translate into the performance here. And I just really do feel, you know, strength and conditioning and maybe end of season, trying to get the guys sharp. I think they may have missed a trick here in terms of prep.
1: I think the blame for the defeat squarely lands at the coaching team and not the players. I think this thing about players finishing the season and they're not, not getting enough minutes and all that. It's the same for the rest of them. Uh, Baldock played for Sheffield United with Egan. He didn't look like he, he was lying on a beach for two months, did he? Like our lads. So I think that excuse goes out the window. I wouldn't be interested in that excuse at all. I'd like to know what Stephen Rice concocted and gave to Stephen Kenny in the form of opposition analysis. Because as you both highlighted there, Greece didn't do anything new. They played the way they play. And... I'm still not sure what Ireland's game plan was because they didn't get a chance to actually implement it at all. Like they were lucky to get back into the game. The other worrying thing was there was no plan B. Keith Andrews didn't turn around to Stephen Kenny and say, and this was highlighted, I think, in RT commentary or something, but no one turned around to Stephen Kenny and said, right, we kind of should match these up now for 20 minutes. We've got back into it. Let's just match them up man for man and try and slow the game down here. There was no plan B. There was no, there wasn't even panic stations. The reason that Ireland got back into the game is because Greece are not a good team. Bad teams will let you back into the game because they're not good enough to kill games off, like say France or England. So we were let back into the game. And we went in at half time, and that's when you say, right, we need to change things. Like surely Josh Cullen and Malumbi knew they were standing beside each other, and they were looking to their left, and all these lads were running by them. You know, this should have been addressed at half time, and if it wasn't, I don't know why. But this, they, they didn't change it. They just sent them all out again, and they said, right, off with you, we'll go again. I just think it's it was a total failure on the management, the selection of the team. We kind of knew at Doherty we mightn't get a good performance. We saw it against. France. He needed the Lafayette game. He played against Lafayette. He played the 90 minutes. He was absolutely brutal. He was rubbish. He played then against France a few days later. He was brilliant. He needed 90 minutes. He didn't get 90 minutes before the Greece game, so he had sand in his boots. He was he was leggy. Ida was the big gamble. I don't know what Ida did to merit his inclusion in that starting 11 I've no idea. And again, we don't know... Stephen Kenny hasn't come out and explained his tactical plan. You know, his plan to beat Greece or to draw a Grease or whatever. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it was. I just think it's it's a total failure from the coaching and staff. Like within the first ten minutes they were totally bombarded. They they tipped off they played uh, they played a good ball forward did we get a corner and then after that then it was like seven or eight minutes I was at home I had a few friends over to watch it and I was cooking us dinner and I went in I went in after about two minutes I was like geez we started okay here and I checked live score and Greece I was like why is Greece why is it nine corners for Greece I was like there's something wrong here something wrong with live score and I came out and the lads were like it's Gab was just like catching bullets. Like, it was a total disaster. Everything about it was a disaster. No one really came away with any kudos at all in that besides Bazunu, And it just looked like it was the, the worst person to come out of it was Stephen Kenny, because he wasn't even reactionary. You know, we, we used to give out about him being reactionary, where he'd get his plan wrong and then he might change it towards the end of the game. He didn't even do that in this game. So I just think it was a total failure in management.
0: I don't know if you saw the stats that went around during the game after Greece's second goal. It was actually the seven times since 2021 that Ireland conceded within the first five minutes of the second half. I know we focus a lot on the amount of long-range shots that we've conceded and they always seem to come down the opposition inside left channel. But if we have conceded seven goals in a little over two years in that five-minute spell at the start of the second half, to me, it says that... You know they're prepared with whatever way we set the team out, and that they're prepared for whatever changes that the manager is going to make. Before Kenny was appointed, before like almost every manager for the national team is appointed, you know you talk about the failures of the previous management. You talk about what the new manager is going to bring in to resolve these issues. There's been complaints. Going back to Saipan, there's been complaints about preparation and that Brian Kerr wouldn't leave anything to chance. And then when Staunton came in, it would be a moving away from Kerr's kind of defensive mentality. When Trapattoni came in, you know, it was that he was, you know, a hundred times better at all aspects of the game compared to Staunton. What I'm trying to say is that when Stephen Kenny was brought in, it was that he was going to play a good brand of football. We were going to, you know, start passing the ball a lot more. We were going to be, you know, playing an intelligent game. We were going to play the type of football that had brought Dundalk into European competition. But apart from one game, I haven't seen it in his time in charge. That's uh, obviously the Scotland game, you know, which is a year ago now. And when you think of uh, the in the games that we've played since then, Ukraine, the return game against Scotland, Armenia, Norway, Malta, Latvia, France, Greece, and Gibraltar. I mean the best performance in those games is possibly the loss
1: against France. Just to come back on the the training camp, Joe, I think Mm -hmm. the, the most damning thing about the whole result and the performance is what had come before it which was the training camp. Like, when we were previewing these games, I gave the reason that, right, it's not like the Armenia game last year. He's got loads of time with the team. It's In fact, it's the most time he's probably had with the team to get his message across, to actually work with them on the pitch, to get a cohesive plan together, to get a plan B together. And that was one of the main reasons I thought we could actually beat Greece. But in fact, nothing has got through to the players. The plan was the shambles. There was no plan B. So... You have to start asking yourself questions. Can he communicate with these players? Can he get his plan through to the players? Because it doesn't look like it. And if he is, the plan obviously isn't good enough, which it wasn't. And the other thing is, which is probably the most obvious answer, is if there's four of us on this pod here and two of us think Kenny's good and two of us think Kenny should be sacked, but if you take the same rhetoric and go to the squad, half of them probably think he's spoofers as well. That's just the way the world works. And half of them mightn't be taking it on board. They mightn't be. They might just be like, right, this isn't making any sense, because it didn't look like it made any sense. Like there, there can't be any other reasons than that, because it's either the players aren't listening or the plan isn't good enough. And either way, whichever one it is, it dooms the manager.
2: I do agree with some of it, but I think we're we're very reactionary, and we are reactionary by the nature of going game by game. By all accounts. The players are really clued in to what he's trying to do. I know Callum O'Dowd has said before, Matt Doherty, that they feel the most prepared, that sometimes it's better than at their clubs. I, I agree with Phil that I think that that performance in Greece comes squarely down to the management team because it it was totally tactically outclassed. And there was, again, yeah, there was no reaction. But I, I disagree with Joe, that I, I, I understand what you said. You say you haven't seen it, but... I think what we're playing compared to previous managers is a better brand of football. It's not getting results.
1: They're passing the ball more. Now, if you want to pass the ball more and it not get you anywhere, well then, like... But what's the alternative, Phil? Long ball? Well, well, no, the alternative would be to actually have a, a cohesive attacking plan and have a second one in place. So, we have someone like Evan Ferguson. Like, the reason... Kenny switched to 3 is because we had Seamus Coleman and Matt Darty. And we had all these centre-backs. And the whole point of it was, right, I've got these really strong players on the wings and I've got these strong centre-backs, so I'm going to try and utilise them the best I can. Which is sound, because that's what you do in international football. If you only have one good player, you just, right, Sweden, give the ball to Zlatan. You know, if you have a good defence, play with your defence, make that the basis of your, your tactical, whatever. So this is what He did. That's gone now. We don't have good wing-backs anymore. Daugherty doesn't have the legs. He's not playing. O'Dowda is useless at wing-back. He was a right-winger when he started for Ireland. He was a right-winger at Bristol City. He's now, he's pumped back into right, uh, left wing-back because he's not good enough at football, basically. That's why he's there. So what have we got? We've got this fella, Evan Ferguson, right, who actually seems like he can take a half a chance, right? And we've got a great couple of centre-backs and a good keeper, and we've got good cover and centre-back. So you actually have to just go right. We're going to try and get the best out of these. Mm. Can, and we're going to try and build our. and we can still pass the ball, but the aim of the game is let's get the ball to Evan Ferguson in the box or around the box. Now, I'm not saying lump the ball up to Evan Ferguson. I'm saying try and get the ball to Evan Ferguson the best way possible, which is obviously through passing the ball as well. We've seen it with Brighton. But he, yeah. he's not doing this. And the, whatever about the Greece game, he didn't switch formation for the Gibraltar game. Yeah. Like but he could what, have switched formation against Gibraltar and he could have said, Right, let's get the ball up to Ferguson, move it quickly, get it up there, but he didn't. Like what if like I'm getting riled up here now. I'm getting fired <laughs> he's got me fired up. I'm just wondering, like, once we pass the halfway line, what's the plan? Because no one no one can tell me exactly what that plan is. And that's the yeah, problem. There's definitely a train
2: of thought. And some journalists or some outlets are saying that Ferg- the arrival of Ferguson has disrupted Kenny's plan up to this point because we haven't had that type of player. And now, I mean, it's do we a build a team?
1: It's a job to manage.
2: But do, do we build a team around an 18-year-old now? That's another rebuilding job. Do we build a team around this kid and put that you picture don't,
1: on You don't have to build a team around him, but you can have a second formation to play against someone like Gibraltar where you can say, right, we don't need to play 6-5 at the back with Cullen sitting there. We can actually play 4 at the back. We can have an extra man up the park with Mikey Johnson or someone like that who's arrived as well and actually try and just batter them. Instead of sitting there for 45 minutes and watching us cross the ball and them headed away, we were watching it and going like, sure, we could be crossing the ball in here all day and they're headed away. And we could be passing the ball around all day in front of them. And nothing's going to happen. So you have to be able to mix it in international football. It's not like club football where you go out every week with the same plan and you try and get the best out of your players that way. Like It's, it's different with international football. You have to be able to change it up. He doesn't seem like he's able to. If you just said it yourself, he doesn't seem like, he's like. oh my God, what do I do with this fella? He's class up front, but he's really young. Oh, what do I do? I'm bamboozled. Like he shouldn't be. He should be like, right, we're going to use you for Gibraltar. James, what I meant when I said I haven't seen... That changes
0: from from Stephen Kenny was that at a certain point in international football, you know, you have to be pragmatic. You know, yeah. it's not like club football where you can work with players and drill them on a on a set piece over five or six weeks until they get it exactly right. And uh, we discussed this briefly before the the call that you have this very compressed time span with the players before an international game. Now, the the trade-off for that is that you have a very long time to analyse the opposition before a game and analyse your own play and analyse what went right and what went wrong and then put together a plan on how to fix what went wrong and, and even improve on what went right. What we saw in the two games against Greece was a lot of passing but not a lot of chances being created. What was missing was an impetus to get forward. We were very slow and Ponderous in possession. It was almost like the team were thinking, who should I pass to? OK, I have these options. I'm going to make this pass. Whereas it needs to be it needs to be instant. We were very slow getting up the pitch. We allowed both teams to reorganise in defence following transitions in play. And I think that's why we weren't creating chances in both games. That's what's missing from uh, the team under Stephen Kenny at the moment.
2: When we did get the first goal against Gibraltar, then we started to play. Yeah, and it was quick movement, and you're just looking at it going, "Why don't you do that all the time?" I think that's kind of what you're saying, Joe. I certainly agree there, James. Like <laughs>
3: you started the that the segment here, Joe, by going on about the Scotland game at home, the ingenuity, the creativity. I remember, the Troy Park goal. You have the Obafemi ball over the top. You know, kind of changing little bits and pieces. I'm just wondering here with the the group of players here, maybe the pressure, they sense the results aren't going the way, and it's just. As you said yourself here, James, you know, he to the Gibraltar game. I mean, it was pretty turgid stuff, but once he got the first goal, you could see the clear confidence. It was the same in the Scotland game 12 months prior. I mean, we may have look luck a little bit for the first 20 minutes of the Scotland game, but once we got that first goal, it's, it, the team transforms. You could see the confidence oozing. You could see the wing backs pushing up, getting a bit more aggressive. It's, it's really kind of a confidence thing, I think, here for. Both players, I would say, a little bit more responsibility from the players. I mean, it's very easy to kind of say of the Keith Andrews or the Stephen Kennys. Surely the players as well, the leadership within that group now. I mean, we have players now that have been in the setup for the last three and a half, four years. They have the mid-teens to early 20 international caps. They should be realising here as well in terms of taking a little bit responsibility here as well. It has to go both ways here.
2: Just, just If I could just on that quickly, I, I think that has come up. There are a lack of, there are a lack of leaders there. And I think they're, it's a very young team. And maybe Kenny has been a bit naive in bringing in so many young players. I know he's lamented. I think he came out and said, you know, some of Ireland's most creative players are not playing at their clubs. I think he's talking about Robbie Brady. I think he really likes Robbie Brady. But mm. when you look at that team, there aren't any leaders in there. They're too young. And that does come back on the management Maybe he's naive in trying to bring So many players in so quickly And dispensing Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say the Hendricks I don't rate them But I look at the team I look at the bench And I look at the wider team Where are the leaders? Where are the ones that are going to say We have to change this up It's not working On the pitch
0: James, yeah, we're going to Yeah, we'll we'll move on to the Gibraltar game in a few minutes. But I think the biggest factor in the change in play against Gibraltar in the second half was the substitution that he made to bring on Michael Johnson. And he, he changed the game. He did something that no one else on the pitch was doing, which was running with the ball at the Gibraltar team, whereas everyone else was trying to cross it. Now, Gibraltar basically played everyone except their striker in their own box. It was like watching the Roman army standing with their shields and spears extended. They were that tightly packed. There was no room for crosses. But yet in the first half, we attempted 33 of them and completed 11 of them. So one, one in every three was successful. Two in every three were failures. You couldn't be, even the ones that were successes, you couldn't be, say, you know, didn't lead to anything. We went in nil-nil at half time. Okay, I don't watch a lot of Gibraltar international football, but I kind of knew how they were going to play. I knew they were going to be compact and organized in defense. They were going to give us a load of possession, and I knew that we wouldn't create a lot of chances from long balls or playing slow football. We needed, to, we needed pace, and it was that change at halftime that pretty much led to the result. I will give Stephen Kenny credit for making it, but I would ask, why didn't Johnson start that game?
2: Is that aimed at anyone, Joe? Sorry. <laughs> no, uh,
0: not really, actually. It was just, it was just a, a statement. Yeah.
2: i jump in. Yeah, I I mean, uh, what I would say is I heard John Jolly talking about it after, and he said he, he thought decent performance. He said that's the way you play against that kind of opposition, that they're going to park the bus for the first half. You're going to have to just keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, and it will come. But what the problem was, it came after the Greece game. we had no credit in the bank and it was just 45 minutes of this team's not even able to break down Gibraltar. I mean, in isolation, those kind of games are always rubbish to watch. We did eventually get there. He gets some credit for making the changes, but the damage was done uh, in the Greece game. I think Mark's right. I think they are a team that needs that first goal to get confidence, to get confidence that they're able to play this way and that they're half-decent footballers, which, when you're not playing for your club, you're bound to have confidence issues.
3: And, and to be fair to him, Joe, look, <laughs> I, I can stick up for uh, Stephen Kenny as much as I want here, but uh, to be fair, at least he saw it, at least he adjusted to it, at least anyway. And to be fair to Ireland, you know, they were trying to kind of create the width. Certainly he would like to bone. I mean, Evan Ferguson had a chance midway through the half. If that goes in here, 1-0, then look, I think Gibraltar heads go down immediately. I think we did have a few opportunities as well in that second half. It wasn't as if we hadn't created opportunities. I suppose you were at the stadium here, guys, as well. Like, I mean, the atmosphere was probably a little bit subdued after that Greece game, but at least they were persevering anyway. Mikey Johnson coming in, obviously. The guys had done the set up work. I would think, like Gibraltar were literally lagging a little bit in that ten minutes before half time, and it really needed that Mikey Johnson player or someone to literally run between the lines here. It certainly happened. Like, and I mean, again, the game gets transformed, doesn't it? I mean, Gibraltar then. So, right, we're one nil down, what do we do here? And then suddenly they go 2 nil down, and then it's a case of, we could have been 4, 5, 6 guys, really, and truly, calling in the goal in Gibraltar. He made a few great saves there as well, so, you're on a hiding to nothing with Gibraltar, let's be brutally honest. If it was one 2 nil, if it's 6 or 7, it <clears throat> can go pros or cons. But to be perfectly honest, I mean, given the Greece performance. At least we got the win. At least the improvement there in the second half there, we did provide opportunities. Adam comes in, gets his goal, which was brilliant as well. Evan Ferguson as well gets on the score sheet. So, I mean, I think we should just take the positives, really. Again, damage has been done in Greece. That's there. You know, like, we have a key crunch September fixture list here, which looks daunting. But, I mean, at least we're going in here with at least, you know, with a Mikey Johnson that sort of game plan if we can distill it like guys will be back in season you know five six weeks so they should be top of the ground here as well there should be no pressure on the guys here in terms of getting results against France and Netherlands really it should be free shots here (laughs) if people are expecting us to really kind of get the six points here in September then good luck and thanks but I mean this should be free shots here for the Republic of Ireland management and also the players as well I mean you have to kind of evaluate it come the end of the campaign and review it but I think for right now take the win take the positives of that second half performance and move on.
0: I don't think anyone expects us to get six points in September, Mark. I think what people would look for is maybe a repeat of their performance at home against France in both games. I think if we saw that, if we hold the French and the Dutch and look like getting a result from it, people will be happier with that. We didn't look like getting a result against Greece. And in the first half against Gibraltar, we didn't even look like scoring. Myself and Phil were actually sitting up from the corner flag on the far side of the pitch on the right as you watch this on TV. So we had a good view for all three goals in the second half. I felt sorry for anyone who was down the other end of the stadium because they didn't see any goals in the first half and the second half they just got to watch Gavin
1: try and stay warm. You kept saying something to us at half time during that game, uh, Joe. You were saying everything you said, it comes with the. But it's Gibraltar. You know, no matter what you do, it's Gibraltar at the end of the day. Like, Mark, you said it, you know, it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, they were booed off the pitch at half time. He played the wrong team. He got the formation wrong. Again, you can say you can take the positives out of it, which you can. But you can't ignore the negatives, okay? So the negatives are over the two games. He had a massive training camp. He goes into an away game that he can't lose. They're found out after fucking two minutes. He doesn't change it. They could somehow get back into it before half time. Then he doesn't change it again. And then it's pure desperate stuff at the end. He has another two days then to prepare for Gibraltar at home. It's obvious you don't need to play five at the back. This is a team that has two 40-year-olds in it. The average age of the team is, is ancient. They play with 10 men behind the ball. And he still goes and picks the wrong formation. They're terrible in the first half. They get booed off. Okay, fine. He, he makes the change at half time and they win like they're meant to. But there's no positives. If the bar is, oh, well, didn't he do well to sort out that mess at half time? 35 games into his tenure as Ireland manager against Gibraltar at home when the bar is on the floor there, lads. That's just the long and the short of it. It is. And we can talk about if he gets this and if he gets that against the Dutch and against the French. But he's not going to. He's as good as done at this stage, I'm afraid. To set up a team like that against Gibraltar at home, they were so slow. They didn't, like, when you play against a team with 10 men behind the ball, you move the ball fast across the pitch. You move them from side to side, and you wait for gaps to appear to play into. And they didn't even do that. They just passed the ball around. Like, Collins was standing there going, what am I even doing here? I don't even want the ball. Like, like there's, there's no need for me to be here. He's not 10 games into the job. He's not 20 games into the job he's 34, whatever it is, it's just not good enough. Like, we can try and dress it up whatever way we want, but it's it's just not good enough. And I honestly believe a lot of the players don't think it's good enough either. Like, could you imagine him wailing out the video there going, here, lads, I have another video to get you G'd up for this. I'm sorry, but that's just, they're just I, the facts, I'm afraid.
2: Phil, I think with whatever minute we're on now, Joe, it's been all on, Kenny. I mean, uh, I think, I agree with you. To an extent. I think he got the formation wrong against Gibraltar because it was Gibraltar. I actually think he makes changes quite quickly. He makes he's not afraid to make the changes, to bring on to use the full substitute count and to bring players in. It's usually like, oh, let's wait till the sixty minute mark and bring in players. Kenny's never done that. I think we're putting an awful lot on the manager. Despite saying I blame the Greece defence, I do put the Greece game, I
1: do put that
2: squarely on the management team.
1: But look at the players. The players are good enough to beat Gibraltar 3-0 in the second half. If they're good enough to beat Gibraltar 3-0 in the second half, they are good enough to, to play better against Gibraltar in the first half. But and they if did they don't beat Gibraltar, be Gibraltar 3-0. Half, but if they're not set up correctly in the first half, that's not set that, on to what, the players.
2: What talk, we're putting too much on for me. I think whatever formation we played against Greece, we'd have, got, we'd have got hammered like that, because I don't think they're good players. The substitutes that came on against Greece... Femi, yes, you know, we had to change something. either wasn't doing it. Michael Johnson, the only player who can uh, do a trick, as they say. Jason Knight, yes, you know, something. McLean is always the go-to. He comes on. Troy Paris? no. I don't know why he's in the squad. He's not playing. Look at the other players on the bench. Darrow Shea, Alan Brown, Jeff Hendrick. Then you've got Kevin Keller, Jamie McGrath. Mark Sykes, I don't know if he's had any mi- minutes, and Mark Travers, the other
1: goalkeeper. That's our bench. Who's that team going to beat? You look that at the team. Wales team that qualified for their last tournament. They had about four Premier League players. The rest of them were League One and Championship, and a few of them playing in America. At the so the makeup of that. The make- I'm just saying, the makeup of the yeah. Wales squad that got to a tournament was nearly the same makeup bar a couple. Was near, they had Bale obviously was nearly the same makeup as the squad we have now, and you don't hear any of them going on. But we don't have the players because they're playing in the Championship or League One. At the end of the day, the, I'll ask you a question. So this is just my personal opinion. I'll ask you this: Do you think a better manager gets more out of these players at the moment? If someone from the Premier, say like just anyone, any good manager you can think of at the moment, if he comes Ooh. in tomorrow, does he get more out of these players? Well, a good manager does, but who? That's right. That's, well then there you go. So my,
2: my point, uh, but this is like an inquest on the entire Kenny, which is fine. I agree with that. The man is hanging on by a thread. And I will say after the Greece game, I texted my brother and said, I've had enough because he can't get, he can't get them to win. But this inquest that it's all, we spent the entire program are talking about Kenny. They are not good footballers. I do think his time is run. I think he cannot get them to win. This manager and this management team cannot get results out of them. But we're putting it all on him.
0: I would say that, for me, the mistake in the Greece game was putting Dar Lenehan on the left side of defence with Cal and not playing John Egan on the left side of central defence. John Egan, who is a left-footed player. Lenehan has only a few caps for Ireland. He's not a first-choice pick for Kenny in central defence, it's usually um, it why Shane Duffy and Darren O'Shea, so he's probably around third or fourth choice for that spot, but putting those two players on the left side of defence made that side of the team quite weak, and Greece recognised that and isolated those players and isolated that part of the pitch and it's where the two goals came from now, a good manager will makes the, the most of a player's good qualities and does what he can to minimise their bad uh, side of their game and by putting those two players on that side of the pitch he exposed their weaknesses Lennon's inexperience at international level and that he's defensively quite poor and when you're playing a wing back as he was, you can't be Well, can't who's the alternative,
2: Joe? You said put well, Egan left back oh, Well, I, say, okay. yeah. There was a big shout for Ryan Manning, everybody on, on lines like, Manning, Manning, had a great season Fair enough He's, he's no, he's not no experience because he hasn't been put in there. Yeah. He also got released by his club. I put that out. Was he, didn't day, a new, he didn't he well, that's
1: sign about that. He didn't. that's
2: what they say. That's what everybody says. Yeah, he didn't sign a new contract. Yeah,
1: it's his it's, he's, his he, his stats in the championship but, this year were phenomenal.
2: But are we saying like defense is where we're actually okay? Yeah,
1: you know, I think we I keep do putting
2: think, it down. We go on player. Yeah, like, it, maybe if we put this player at left back. Josh Cullen it's the midfield where you win games Malumby didn't play like he did against France Josh Cullen was hopeless so like I'm just saying let's put let's examine the players as well players not playing at their clubs because they're not good footballers so are we saying Stephen Kenny is not a good manager is that what you're saying because you I'm said saying, a, good manager, a good manager, jo- Josh get Cullen, into Josh Cullen
1: and Malumbi were standing beside each other all game on the manager's instruction.
2: We all agree Kenny's hanging on by a thread. I agree, but let's talk about the players too. Okay, They're not well, good players. Because, regular that's why I think a regular. Guy, I guarantee you, Cullen gets sold before the start of the season, and he's plays at the championship. And if he doesn't, I'll do a forfeit for you. And the next time I'm on, I guarantee okay. you he gets sold. Okay. I remember that one not involving uh, nudity I'm stirring it up a bit here I think we yeah. all agree Kenny's hanging on by a trail I think
1: it's it's international football so at the end of the day it always comes because you can't move a player on it always comes down to the management team at the end of the day
2: yeah and, and look I actually, I actually right? agree now it, it that does you, and when, when you're of manage, out of yeah change when the you're manager out of, of running, something else
1: it could, and when you're out of the running of qualifying for the next tournament as quickly as we are, well, then obviously it's all going to, all the talk is going to be in the management team because we can't change Anthony's. The only yeah, thing, only the only management. variable is the management team, so they yeah. come under massive pressure. Yeah, I agree. I just think the
2: players, when a player has a really good season, like Colin, mm-hmm. you know, when the, when he doesn't play well, it, that's not all on the manager. That's all I would say.
1: No, it's not. But when the When 11 of them don't play well, when 10 of them don't play well,
2: well, then you start to think
1: there's something else insidious there that it could be the management team. Let's call a spade a spade here. Does anyone think Keith Andrews is adding Anthony to this job? Uh, Have we seen Anthony? He's he's highly rated. I'll only say because I I
2: heard him speak at a supporters club meeting, an Irish supporters club. I went along. I was very impressed with him. I, I will say this. He said all the underage managers meet once a month to speak about. And that every ma- every manager basically knows every underage kid that's coming through. And I asked the question, I said, like, you know, why are you doing that? Is that being mandated by the FAI? Is that kind of part of Kenny's contract? Because I said this before, Kenny doesn't have to come in and look after the Irish structures. And he, he said, no, it's because they care about Irish football. I'm not saying that makes Keith Andrews say anything. I'm yeah. saying... This isn't being mandated by the association that the, all managers work together. So we still have a lot of yeah. structural problems. I think. Yeah. Um, replacing a Kenny with a
1: big Sam or whatever is not but no one's saying that, that. issue. Are no not? It's only that's clickbait. Like at the end of the day, is Keith Andrews isn't highly rated? I'll tell you who's highly rated. Our last two coaches who were poached from us, they were highly yeah. rated. But does not Kenny get no that credit for in? Key in key the door saying, "Hey Keith, come on, let's go. We've got a job deal over here." Not happening.
0: I think more people are are saying that nobody is saying Big Sam than is actually putting forward Big Sam as a viable contender for the Ireland yeah. job. Uh, I think he's just become this kind of spectre in the background of whatever a manager starts doing poorly, his name starts being mentioned in the press and look right now he's available for free but look we all know the way football goes you know when the new season kicks off in England in August come the end of September whoever's doing poorly Sam Allardyce's name will be linked to the job despite the fact
1: that you know he just got leads relegated. I absolutely agree with you as well on the makeup of the squad the age profile it is a young squad but I think down the road I think when Stephen Kenny has been let go like he is going to be let go. I think we'll look back in a few years, and I don't think anyone will see this appointment as a failure. I, I don't think so. If he gets battered by France and Holland and loses to Greece and we beat Gibraltar away, I still don't think he'll be seen as a failure, regardless of if we didn't qualify for anything. Because at the end of the day, the appointment has fundamentally changed the international approach to Irish football. It's got our underage teams in order. It's made a culture of bringing players through from underage teams and making sure they get into the senior squads. No one wants Big Sam now. Four or five years ago, you're right, James, a lot of people would be like, let's get Big Sam. I don't think anyone wants to go back to that that style. Nobody would want Mick McCarthy back in the door in the morning. Whereas after O'Neill, everyone was like, geez, yeah, maybe O'Neill o- McCarthy might be all right. You know, he was a disaster. It was beyond caveman stuff. We, no one wants that anymore. We want to continue on what Stephen Kenny has brought into the into this setup and has tried to do. And it will be looked as, as probably the first step in hopefully a successful team in a few years. He has done us a great service. But has he got... The maximum out of these players that he's going to get, probably. No fault of his own. That's just the way it is. He's hit his limit. Fair enough. But it will be looked back on as a success.
3: definitely kind of evolved, hasn't he? He's evolved player development here. The he number of no, guys. Absolutely. Oh, I know he had to, certainly. Let's say, end of the qualification campaign. You can evolve the players. I would sense that he will probably go. But I'd still keep him on the FAI in terms of grassroots and really kind of preaching absolutely. the gospel. You know, I don't he'd, think he'd be welcome back. back.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you think that he would accept that position after being the international manager? Pretty much every other job in the FAI, bar maybe the CEO, has to be seen as a step down from the, the manager of the senior men's team. Do you think he would accept that kind of a role in the FAI? Or do you think he might go back to club management?
2: Maybe a club first. It'd be hard to kind of, there be might be a bit of bitterness there. But I think, yeah, I think Phil. Phil's right that in time he'll be seen as... And we said this uh, many months ago that we said he might be the interim one. He might be the one that brings these players in for someone else. I think his time is gone too because I do think someone else can get that bounce and
1: bring us to the next level. Any manager that goes in, in in the international, anyone that takes over the senior team, we all want them to do well. And I, I think everybody wanted Stephen Kenny to do well, even the naysayers, you know, who at the start were, oh, who's this guy? He hasn't managed in England. He was in Scotland, you know. This, the bar is basically, like even a lot of them came around. Like you saw, and like the France game was was one of the the best atmospheres in the Aviva in years. You know, that's because we all wanted Stephen Kenny and the team to win or to draw or to do well. So I, he's, it's just the way it goes. He's just brought brought the team to the the maximum he can bring them to. And I don't think he... Like, he's still young as well. He There's plenty of club management left in him. Where does he go? I don't know. Does he go to England? I'm sure someone will take a chance on him. But it's reached the end of the road, and that's it. And the question now is, who, who, who? And, you know, the people who still want Stephen Kenny to hang on until the end of the campaign are, oh, who are you going to get? that he's done nothing, you know, or Big Sam or whatever. Look, the end of the campaign will be the end of October. By the time that, that comes around, the new season would have started and, and probably 60 managers would be sacked because that's the way club football is. Does managers getting sacked left, right and centre all the time? There'll always be another name. But it's up to the FAI to put in someone with a similar vision and outlook on football as Stephen Kenny and Jim Crawford in the under-21 management. Yeah, it's, so, you, it's the
3: vision really that he's created here. You know, the yeah. culture... You could, uh, I'd hate to go to hurling analogies here but I think back to the Clare 1990s when Gerlock Nan took over who really set the foundation stones of that Clare team, Len Gaynor he lost by 25 points in the Munster hurling final to Tipperary and was like put out of town but it's the same as a group of players that basically propelled themselves to the next level I'm thinking this is probably going to be the same for a Stephen Kenny era here, he's basically brought opportunities to players I'd say the objective here guys, are we thinking third in the group here uh, if he finishes third in the group, would you consider that a success in the qualification? And would you consider?
1: Yeah. I don't think we finish third. I don't think we will, but I said before that we started in the group, we're third seats, to finish third is the minimum. And then obviously when you see the draw and you see the two teams that have come ahead of us, I think what you have to be doing is you have to be taking more points off your lower-seeded teams. Maybe we can beat Greece at home. Is it enough? Probably not.
3: Yeah, but- to be fair, Tim, like, I mean, you know, let's see how the rest of the qualification campaign goes here. I mean, the Dutch and the French, you know, their class sides. But I mean, we've shown that we're well able to basically compete with France, particularly at home. So let's see how things go. I think the key games here will be that Greece at home, the home game, really, because we do all the month after the shambolic scenes before the game with Irish supporters in Athens. I thought that was just an incredibly disgraceful treatment of our fans. So I think we've a bit of uh, skin in the game here in terms of Greece coming back here look let's review the qualification campaign the light of day and really see the players evolution here as well and then you can critique all you want in terms of <laughs> management and stuff like that and see where we go from
2: there I do think that's right despite saying you could get a new manager bounce I think he probably does deserve to see what comes in the the free hit as Mark said see it out because I think there is a bigger question is about who does come next? Because if if it really is about an ethos and a succession plan, you're probably looking at someone based in Ireland, one of the underage managers, maybe a League of Ireland managers, a Jim Crawford, a John O'Shea. And you're then, if that happens, you're gonna have all this again. Never manage in England. Who is he? Who is this guy? But if if you're serious about a succession plan and a culture and an ethos and not parachuting in a big Sam. The next manager has to come from the same place Stephen Kenny did, and that's something we're going to have to uh, adapt with as a football nation.
1: Yeah, well, the FAI don't have the money to spend big on, on bringing in someone from England anyway, so it's going to be someone, someone close to home, absolutely. And as well, like I totally agree with you. Like this talk of we were talking about it off air before we came on, but the playoff situation. I just don't think we should be even thinking about that, to be honest with you. We should be given Stephen Kenny. The rest of the campaign... The contract was signed, we gave him the campaign. So you give him the campaign. We haven't been to a tournament in seven years. It's going to be eight years, nine years. What's another couple of months? Let him play the games. If we think that Stephen Kenny's reign can fall and die on the sword, that is the Greece result, which is one result, well, then surely we give him the chance to turn it all around with one result against Holland or Greece again. So... He deserves to get the rest of the campaign. As
0: regards to the succession plan that you've mentioned there, you know, should the the long-term plan in the F.A.I. include educating the coaches that are, you know, not just in the national setup but also around the league? If the long-term plan is that we would be promoting from within the Irish setup, I disagree
1: on on that point from James because I I think it basically mirrors the whole situation with players. Managers in the League of Ireland, unless they're young and up and coming, probably aren't at the level of a Championship manager or a Premier League manager. It's similar to the players. You know, if you're 28 playing in the League of Ireland, it's because you're not good enough to play in the Premier League. So by that sense, you're probably not good enough to manage an international team, and that's just the way it is. And League of Ireland heads won't like me saying that, but that's just the cold hard facts. Like if you are managing in the League of Ireland, at you know, you've been a manager for 10 or 15 years and you're managing the League of Ireland, you're not good enough to manage at an international level. Because you're still in the League of Ireland, not through your own choice, but because you haven't got job opportunities elsewhere. Like Stephen Kenny went to Scotland and he came back. He did, you know, if he, Stephen Kenny had got a, a championship offer, he probably would have went to the championship instead of coming home. That's just the way it is. So I, I think while you could be educating them, there's no way a manager is picked from the League of Ireland again for our next manager. Not a hope. Maybe as an outsider, outside bet, uh, John O'Shea and Jim Crawford were mentioned but not a League of Ireland manager. I just can't see it. When you think that the last two managers
0: that we've appointed with a, a League of Ireland background with success at underage level and who replaced Mick McCarthy are Stephen Kenny and uh, and Brian Kerr, do you think that damages the prospects of approaching another League of Ireland manager? It damages as in convince the FAI won't approach one of them. Maybe not that the FAI won't approach them, but their names won't put forward their names won't be discussed as viable candidates because the obvious retort is, well, we tried that before twice, and in both cases it ended in disappointment.
1: But they're not good enough. Like, we can dress it up all we like, but at the end of the day, they're probably not good enough. Like, would you give Stephen Bradley the job tomorrow? If someone decent came up who was managing in England? Probably not. Like, at the end of the day, we we obviously have to support the league and try and big it up as much as we can, but they're not at the same level that these players need at international
3: level. Yeah, I'm even thinking, Joe, like, look, let's say Air Eritristic League manager wants to apply for the international senior management job. They're well entitled to do so. But you're going to have to cast an net out here to continental Europe, even the United States, to really kind of hone in. And if you're doing your search correctly as a football association, you need to be scouring the globe here to get someone that, you know, on your contacts to see... Do they take the boxes in terms of the ethos, the vision? Or are you sharing the same kind of beliefs in terms of your, how your football's been played here, how you want to progress the game, even from a grassroots structure, that sort of thing? So, uh, to be fair, domestic managers here, I mean, we've alluded to Stephen Kenny here, there's plenty other guys here, Divine um Bowls, like Damien Duff, even from Shelburne. I mean, it is that experience factor, I think. Will be. But yes, look, it's all fair game here. I think as long as you can get the right candidates that really ticks the boxes here, that is the key. But I think the money element of it certainly is going to be a bit of a hindrance for the FEI, isn't it, with their financial situation? But again, it shouldn't prevent the right candidate here domestically or even joining the backroom so- as staff here in some shape or form and really cultivating that succession plan here. Like, I'm thinking of Vera Poe here in terms of the, the women's senior, uh, senior women's squad. I mean, it was a, it was a brave move to bring in Vera Poe, but I think you've seen the results there in terms of how that's, uh, evolved and how things have gone. So I think from an FEI perspective here, if let's say Stephen Kenny is no longer the manager, then the net has to be cast and you know, you have to get the right candidate, regardless of where they are.
0: That's a good point. You know that the last two managers appointed to the women's team, you know, have been successes. So you'd hope that the the same process would be applied to the the men's national team. Before we finish up, I uh, just want to have a quick mention for the women's squad that was announced for the World Cup just yesterday. Vera Powell had to make some of the hardest decisions uh, of her career uh, in deciding which. 23 players were going to go to Australia I think there was one or two notable exclusions from the squad unfortunately I think until the tournament itself kicks off that's where the the focus is going to be which is understandable because that's that's where the story is we'll have a dedicated episode for the World Cup itself coming soon but before then Mark what were your thoughts on the squad
3: yeah I think it was very much mixed emotion day yesterday when that announcement was made and I think it was conveyed by Vera Poe and everyone associated with the squad like delighted for the 23 uh, ladies that got selected for the senior squad. World Cup ambition is going to get achieved here hopefully but for the people that uh, were uh, omitted due to various factors I think it's a devastating blow now obviously they would have gotten the news a few days ago but it takes no pleasure no consolation that this is now out in the public but I suppose looking at it, Joe, we could probably go down through line by line here. But the goalkeeping situation for me is uh, all of the a lot of them. I think that's the one for me that's really stuck out. I mean, the decision to bring three goalkeepers and then also a reserve keeper as well, given that Courtney Brosnan has basically spent the, all the the pre or the pre friendly games in goal. I mean, it really does. I know goalkeeping coach ethos is stuff like that, but the fact of the matter is we've not seen. The backup reserves here in any great shape or form. My fear here is that Courtney Brosnan gets red carded or an injury happens in one of the games. Where do we go from here? So I would hope the French game gives Liza Grace Maloney a bit of game time here. Just that we have the backup. I suppose i this point for Liza like, Vifa Mannion. She came into the squad at the start of the year. But again, obviously injury ruled that out. Megan Campbell as well did nothing wrong in terms of the qualification campaign but again obviously the injury lay with Liverpool, just time has ran out so look I'm kind of looking as well in terms of some of the, the loyalty, the squad loyalty to squad players during the campaign, wasn't really reciprocated, you can talk all you want but the Jamie Finn exclusion for me is the big one it's the big old field exclusion for me she did nothing wrong in terms of qualification campaign and then to make a bolter to come in like Izzy Atkinson, I think, to be fair, stand stand standout prospect, but it's not the time to be testing players that inexperienced going into a World Cup. So for me, that's one of those kind of key decisions that I think may have gotten wrong here. I know she's in the training stand-up squad, but to be fair, I think that was a real cruel selection. And obviously, the Marissa Sheva and also Sinead Farrelly selections for me, I think Farrelly is well regarded, but the Marissa Shaver one does nothing for me personally. I didn't think the cameos when she's been in the squad have been anything up to any quality. So I think for the likes of a Noonan or maybe Leanne Kernan, I think to be fair, they can be very disappointed in terms of not being included. But I mean, this is just professional sports, isn't it? I mean, the manager's made his, made her decisions now. So it's really up to the players now to deliver.
0: I agree with all of that. Uh, look, I don't envy. Powell having to make the decisions on who to include and who to exclude. I'm sure she's agonised over it. Ever since qualification was achieved against Scotland in the playoff, there's always going to be someone desperately disappointed. And in this case, I think Jamie Finn, as you mentioned, probably has the, the biggest case. She's been excellent for both club and country for two years now, a vital part of qualification. I think even including as a, a training player, is it's a bit of a sop, really, for me. Um, and I, I understand the the, the reasoning behind it, that if there's an injury before the tournament starts and they need to bring someone in, at least she's in the country and you're not having to fly someone all the way from Europe to Australia. Thinking back to, uh, was it Sinclair, who flew from England to Japan before the World Cup and then flew back to London. And then the sold promptly, no, you're actually needed in Japan. Get on the next flight. I think it's it's an experienced squad. It's slightly older than you would like. The average age is around 28. There's a couple of players in their 30s who are skewing that a little higher. And Abby Larkin at 18 is probably even dragging it down a little bit. It's a, an experienced team, an average of 39 caps per player. I agree with you that... In goals, Courtney Brosnan is the standout number one. She showed exactly how good she is against Zambia. And I'm sure we're going to see her for at least 45 minutes against France next week. But it was something we mentioned after the friendlies against China and the United States earlier in the year that none of the other goalkeepers were being looked at. And it's a criticism that we've had of the the men's team as well that there's been some missed opportunities for Stephen Kenny to give Mark Travers a run out to show what he can do. As I said, we'll have a dedicated episode for the Women's World Cup before the tournament comes out. We wish the squad and the manager the very best. Uh, you only get to play your first World Cup once. We remember Italian 90 and what it was like for the country. And I hope that seeing this team representing Ireland on the world stage does for women's football, what Italian 90 did for men's football uh, in this country. I want to thank Mark, Phil, and James for joining me on the the show today. I think emotions were running high discussing the two qualifiers, and but I think we're all in agreement that's coming to the end of Stephen Kenny's time in charge, and what we want for his successor is to continue the, the work that he started. Yeah, I
3: think this episode really, Joe does show that our passion for the national team here, we wanted to do well. I think it was a great debate in terms of pro and cons here, in terms of the team and also management here as well. So I think it's it'll be a good listen back to everybody here. So look, let's see what September holds.
1: Great debate, great to have James on. And I think, as Mark alluded to, we all just want this team to do well and whatever whatever the best way forward that is, we'll all get behind it, or if it's the case where Stephen Kenny pulls it out of the bag we'll, we'll still be behind him but we'll just have to see what happens in September I think it's September October is going to be a busy few months
2: Yeah, yeah. great great to join you lads and uh, yeah, the forfeit will stand so I'll have to think about that
0: <laughs> Definitely, you can follow Mark on social media at Hawkeye Psychic you can follow Phil on Twitter at Philip Flanagan or on Instagram at T B P O F jerseys. Have that right, Phil? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <a lot> <laughs> uh, you can follow you can follow James uh, at Pog that's P O G M O G O A L on Instagram and Twitter, and you can follow me at Irish underscore abroad or Irish football statistics on Instagram. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.